Welcome to Getting Healthcare Right, a bi-monthly podcast about the business of healthcare. Brought to you by TriHealth and hosted by Jamie Smith, president and publisher of the Cincinnati Business Courier. In this podcast series, we explore changes being made by some healthcare systems to provide care differently and in a way that benefits patients, employers, and entire communities all while costing less than traditional healthcare delivery. It's about getting healthcare right. Welcome to today's episode of Getting Healthcare Right, brought to you by the Cincinnati Business Courier and presented by TriHealth. I'm Jamie Smith, publisher and president of the Business Courier, and today we're delighted to have Dr. Satish Kesari, a advanced heart failure transplant cardiologist with TriHealth, and Brian Smith, a TriHealth patient who lost a brother to cardiomyopathy several years ago, when then a year later receiving the same diagnosis. Dr. Kesari and Brian, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Absolutely. In just a few minutes, we'll talk to Brian about his health journey. But first, Dr. Kesari, a few questions for you. What does it actually mean when somebody receives a diagnosis of heart disease or heart failure? So in my field of advanced heart failure, that's a common question that comes. And uh, it's a common reason patients are referred to me. And I think it brings a lot of stress to patients and their family members when they hear the word heart failure. And what we like to offer in our advanced heart failure clinic is hope for that diagnosis. The reality being that there's 50% five-year mortality associated with that, similar to what we see with cancer. But I think a lot of people don't realize that heart failure diagnosis comes with a pretty significant morbidity and mortality. There is no cure for heart failure, but there's a lot of great therapies that can help you live many, many years and feel a lot better. To that hope, we here at the Thomas Center on the campus of the Bethesda North Hospital had developed multiple advanced heart failure kind of subspecialty programs. One of our programs is the myocardial recovery or heart recovery program. We've had amazing success with four pillar guideline directed medical therapy to help people recover their heart function and do well for subsequent many years. We also identify patients who are more advanced and medications and devices could no longer help and they require a left ventricular assist device like Brian or a transplant. And then there are some people like Brian who have an inherited cardiomyopathy runs in their family members. And we have a hypertrophic cardiomyopathy center, an amyloid center, and a virtual heart failure clinic that can actually, with our navigators, interact with patients from home. And our last program that we built here was the pulmonary hypertension clinic. So with all that, even though the diagnosis of heart failure comes with a pretty significant mortality and morbidity impact, I think there's a lot of hope we can give with what we built so far. Well, Dr. Kesari, you talked a little bit about obviously this, the factors are the things that cause this condition. Is it lifestyle? Is it genetics? Is it a combination? So it actually can vary depending on the patient and the specific reason. But one of the more common reasons, if you look at population health for having a cardiomyopathy or heart failure is actually just hypertension. 
And then you, you have to look at the risk factors why someone would have hypertension, obesity, smoking, diet. But so those ultimately lead to the risk factor of having heart failure. One of the things that we really need to exclude, which can be seen in a greater proportion of ischemic cardiomyopathies, are, are people who have coronary artery disease. And for them, we have options of revascularization with either stenting or bypass surgery to improve their course. But it's really only a small proportion of patients that have genetic relation to cardiomyopathy, such as Brian. To that effect, we're fortunate at the Thomas Center within the advanced heart failure or the tri-health heart and vasculars to have six genetic counselors on staff that can evaluate patients. And additionally, we have an infiltrated cardiomyopathy program that focuses on those inherited problems such as hypertrophic cardiomyopathy or amyloid cardiomyopathy. You know, one of the things I think when patients hear heart problem, you know, you immediately think you're on the verge of death. I know that doesn't always mean that. What are some of the potential treatment options available to help that patient maintain a healthy life after the initial diagnosis? I know you talked about a lot of your treatments there, but talk a little bit about that. How do you get that person once they have been told that? How do you help them maintain and live that healthy life? So actually, it really depends on the presentation and the site of presentation. On the inpatient side, we do see those really acute, really sick patients that come in what we refer to as cardiogenic shock. This is a state where the heart does not pump enough to supply blood to all your vital organs. It's a really acute, urgent situation, sometimes associated with malignant arrhythmias. These are situations where we have to really employ a multidisciplinary team on the inpatient side to really put in advanced support devices to rescue patients from that shock state. That team of people includes CT surgeons, a critical care intensivist, interventional cardiologists, and heart failure docs such as myself. And we come together to make a multidisciplinary assessment and a plan of care as to the next step. And at TriHealth at the Bethesda North Campus, we developed that comprehensive team to really evaluate the really sick patients who might ultimately need a heart device or transplant. And then on the other side, we see patients within the whole continuum of heart failure on the outpatient side. In our offices, we see patients who are in the earliest stages of heart failure where they have some dysfunction of the heart, but absolutely no symptoms. So we caught them in earlier in the continuum of heart failure. And then we also see patients that are further down the road in that continuum of heart failure, all the way up to the point of needing devices for end-stage heart failure, such as a left ventricular assist device or a heart transplant. So we're fortunate that to have all these resources in a team that can evaluate patients for all those options. That's awesome. You know, uh, we've been doing this podcast for almost a year and I've been impressed uh, on this population journey that we're trying to talk about how connected all your teams are at TriHealth. You know, everybody knows what's going on regardless of what that patient is or where they are in the journey. Everybody's connected and talking. So this just, uh, you know, continues to go down that path. So thank you for that. 
Thank you. On that point, we've done a lot of work to streamline the communication among all the different disciplines. And you can't have these specialty programs without building an infrastructure that clean communication with critical care, interventional cardiology, general cardiology, advanced heart failure cardiology. Even with our own specialties, we have improved that communication. So it allowed. That is great. Brian, I understand you were diagnosed with cardiomyopathy several years ago. Can you tell us a little bit about that and your journey? Yeah, it was about eight years ago when I was diagnosed. And it was just, um, I, you know, I thought I was just sick from coughing, being dizzy. And then it, everything progressed, it got worse. And then I did an x-ray, so all my heart was enlarged. And I ended up in the hospital. Then to air carry me to Cleveland Clinic to possibly do a transplant, but Cleveland was able to uh, medically, like for medication, get me right where I needed to be at that time. I know you lost a brother to this. Did you guys have other family history of this or what did you know before you and before your brother? Before my brother, we did not know anything. When I got sick is when we really found out. And my son, he was diagnosed with cardiomyopathy also, and he's 21. So hopefully they caught it enough where he could take medication and not have to go through what I went through. Now, you did receive the LVAD device. Can you talk a little bit about that and what it did do for you? Sure. It was a hard choice to decide to put something inside your body and really to depend on that to live with. But it was a good choice. And it was definitely life changing. It, it gave me it prolonged my life way more than I can imagine. So uh, it was the right choice for me. And I'm sure my family's happy I made that choice also. How are you feeling today? I feel great. I'm doing all the normal things I would do, normal things my uh, wife would ask me to do. <laughs> so as long as she's happy, everyone's happy. Oh, that's great. So Dr. Kesari, what are some of the potential treatment options available to help a patient maintain a healthy life after that initial diagnosis? Well, I think um, there's a lot of options, but like everything we do in medicine, we try to do it from the simplest, least invasive options first. And you really have to look at lifestyle modification. And and once again, and because of that, we want to make our advanced heart failure clinic a multidisciplinary clinic. So we have dietitians in-house, social workers. We even have a smoking cessation program within the Thomas Center. And we have a pharmacist and a nurse practitioner and even physician assistants that help us kind of help people work on their lifestyle. So it's your diet and exercise that's really important to help prevent and then also help improve your heart failure symptoms. After that, we concentrate on medications. There's four pillar medications that we know really benefit heart failure patients. And we've done an incredible job of really making sure all our patients are on these medications if they can tolerate it. Along with that, we have a palliative care physician within the Advanced Heart Fairy Clinic who sees patients to kind of discuss goals of care and also symptom relief. And I think it's a really nice additional option to make sure we're doing what patients want or what patients' families want. In concert, we are in close proximity to our imaging center, our electrophysiologists, our interventional cardiologists, our general cardiologists, all within close proximity. So we can discuss these specialty devices that help improve heart function, like the cardiac resynchronization therapy with our electrophysiologists. 
We have a CT surgeons in the same location that can talk to patients about left ventricular assist devices, the open heart procedure to help you live longer. And then we have newer devices that are minimally invasive with our vascular surgeons, such as the Barostim device. These are, this is an awesome opportunity in one location to have all these different specialties work in concert to benefit patients. And now that we're part of Cleveland Clinic, we're a Cleveland Clinic affiliate, we have the ability to offer transplant from a world leader in cardiovascular care. So I think we're really beneficial, but keeping that in mind, we offer even transplant to whatever location is most convenient to patients. You know, that's great to hear. Dr. Kayseri, can you tell me what establishing his treatment plan looked like? Jamie, that's a really good question. So Brian actually presented it to us in that acute setting in cardiogenic shock. His heart was not pumping well enough to supply blood to his end organs. He was what referred to as NYHA class four heart failure. It means short of breath or symptomatic just even at rest. He required an IV drip of medications to help his heart pump and to improve his perfusion. And ultimately, we were not able to get him off that drip. He has a longstanding cardiomyopathy and inherited cardiomyopathy. We didn't have much hope of getting recovery there. And he's failed medical therapy in the past. In order to really kind of evaluate him, going back a year or two earlier, we had developed a team at TriHealth at Bethesda North Hospital that's a comprehensive team of people, multidisciplinary to evaluate patients like this so we can make quick decisions and make the right decision for the patient. These team members include a CT surgeon that can evaluate patients for transplant or left ventricular assist device, a left ventricular assist device coordinator who educates patients about what the device is, what are the requirements, what are the lifestyle implications of it, and then we also have social workers that look over finances, home situation. Additionally, we have other cardiologists, we have physical therapists, we have psychiatrists, and a whole team of people that come through. And from that point on, when we get the green light, then we move on to head-to-toe testing to make sure there's no contraindications per proceeding forward. We do want to offer this kind of devices, but we don't want to find problems later that were unforeseen. So we do a very detailed evaluation of patients and that's what Brian went through. After that, we present patients like Brian who are critically ill and requiring these life-saving therapies in a selection committee meeting. And that selection committee meeting involves about 20 to 30 people. And we review all the imaging, all the clinical scenario. We try to make a decision of what's the best way to move forward. And for him, it was the left ventricular assist device. That was something that Brian also chose. We had discussed all options at that time. I knew it was time to increase treatment that we had to provide for Brian because he failed standard therapy and we were unable to get him off the bridging therapy with the continuously infused drip that required to improve his heart function. What does his prognosis look like now? It looks great. I think Brian's done wonderful. He came out of the hospital in record time. He's been active at home, enjoying a great quality of life. And we've actually had to ask him to slow down on all the things that he does around the pool <laughs> and at home. So, but um, 
you know, we revisit the idea about transplant since he's doing so well because his initial preference was to get a left ventricular assist device. And we connected him for a place to undergo transplant evaluation. So he's currently on the list for a transplant, but he's doing wonderful. And I anticipate many, many great years at him. That's great to hear. And congratulations, Brian. Thank you. You know, Doc, this podcast focuses on Trials Population Health Model of Medicine, which strives to keep people healthy, living better lives. What can patients do day to day or throughout the year to really maintain their heart health? And how can that patient tell if they're at risk for potential cardiac issues? I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier. I think one of the key things is diet. And I think making sure you get with a dietitian to really understand how complex your dietary intake is and how it can really impact your health is worthwhile. I think exercise, avoiding smoking, and really reaching out to your primary care doctor to make sure you have that annual kind of evaluation that you should get, and then getting referred to cardiologists if needed. And additionally, I would look at the American Heart Association website on all their resources for healthy living. And if you have any symptoms, such as shortness of breath, waking in the middle of the night, short of breath, swelling in your legs, reach out to your primary care doctor first. Great advice for sure. You know, I've got one last question for you, Dr. Kayseri. What would you tell a patient who just received that diagnosis of heart disease or heart failure? What are your you know, initial comments to them? Well, I think we offer a lot of hope. I think nowadays with all the medications, all the multidisciplinary approach with dietary and exercise and with our cardiac rehab program, there's a lot of hope. I think this really highly morbid kind of condition with a high mortality of five years, we've been able to attenuate that problem. We've been able to extend people's lives recover heart functions, and for those patients that are irreversible, still offer options to help you live more years and actually feel better, which is sometimes more important than living longer. So I would say a lot of hope. I was going to say, I was going to sum it up with the word hope, so you read my mind. So guys, I want to thank you both for being here. Again, this journey through population health is an interesting one. And I just feel like these stories like today adds more and more to that population health journey. I'd like to thank our audience for tuning in. And I'd like to remind the audience, if you've missed any of our past episodes of Getting Healthcare Right, please go to CincinnatiBusinessCourier.com, click on our menu in the upper top left corner, look under Partner Content, and you will see Getting Healthcare Right, where you will be able to listen to any of our past episodes. Again, I'd like to thank Dr. Kayseri and Brian for your time today. And Brian, I wish you a lot of success in life. Thank you. Jamie, thank you. It's a very important topic. And we have a dedicated team, so uh, working really hard on this. So thank you so much. Thank you. And I want to thank our listeners. Have a great day. Thank you for downloading Getting Healthcare Right, presented by the Cincinnati Business Courier and sponsored by TriHealth. To learn more, visit trihealth.com.